If you build it, he will come. Welcome to Primary Technology, the show about tech news that matters. Today we're going to talk about iOS 17.3 and stolen device protection. Netflix is trying to get into live TV and Microsoft passed that $3 trillion market cap value, what that means, Apple Vision Pro sales and more. And I'm here, of course, with my trusty co-host, Jason A10. How's it going, Jason? It's good. Thanks, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I realize I I haven't introduced myself in the intros yet. I, I just start talking. So I'm Stephen Robles. He is. I think it's the first time I said that. I know people probably know that. He's the reason we do this show. No, no, no. Well, he I, needs no introduction. I've, that, see, I don't want to assume that. So I'm Stephen Robles. He's Jason A10. That's who you're <laughs> listening to uh, right he now. He has the most recognizable voice on the internet. Oh, well, that, that's very kind. Very kind of you. So we got a lot to talk about today. Some news. Not all Apple news. Uh, of course, we will touch on Apple Vision Pro a little bit because got maybe some rumored sales numbers and elusive reviews and all that kind of stuff. But I want to thank some five-star reviews because you guys have been very kind. The support for the show keeps coming and we really appreciate it. So here are the five-star reviews this past week. RedPixel09, Jay Denning, 6R360RY. He's really into the OPSEC. We have no idea who that is. <laughs> uh, Buy More Fan. He left a glowing review. Chuck Wagon 99 That's a funny name. <laughs> BRaddy48 and... All Nick Enums are taken seven. That was all one word. Uh, he said he listened to two minutes of the podcast and it was the best two minutes of a podcast he's ever heard. Now, I don't know if he listened after that. Did he keep listening? <laughs> we should try a different format, Stephen. It should be a two-minute yeah, show. Two-minute show. We're, we already hit it. We're, we're at 145. We're done. We just read reviews Show's and over. we're done. It's great to see everybody. I got to say, though, that this is this actually directly relates to what I was just saying before this because, you know... Steven says that there's a glowing review. I just want everyone to know you should read these glowing reviews because most of them are, Steven, we are so glad that you're doing a podcast again. We don't they know who the other guy too. is, but he can stick they around. Say, no, no, no. They mentioned Jason too. They say we have a great rapport. And so no, it's, it's both of us. And I want to thank you all again. We've, we've stayed in the top charts. We, we slipped a little bit. And so if you have not given the show a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it. It's a great free way to support the show. And then we'll tell you about how you can support the show in other ways a little later. But we'll get to the news. And then we also have some personal tech about the 40 years of the Mac. Jason had a great piece and talk about a little our history and some of the kind of big influential names that talk about the Mac Uh at, at length, you know, a lot of podcasts and articles about it. And then we have a bonus episode about slides, which that's that's the selling point right there. I'm talking about that's slides. That's true. Not like the things you ride down at a, at a playground, just to be clear. Oh, yeah. No, no, I should. That's true. I should specify. We're talking about yeah. like Keynote versus Google Slides. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah. Nobody's going to pay for the I was, other thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. For exactly. <laughs> so I want to pay uh, cover iOS 17.3 real quick at first, because it came out earlier this week for everyone. And uh, everyone's going to see, I accidentally shared my movie quotes because I'm trying to start every episode with a movie quote. So I had a website pulled up. But anyway, mm-hmm. iOS 17.3 is out for everyone. Probably the biggest feature is stolen device protection. And this is likely a response from Joanna Stern at the Wall Street Journal reporting a lot uh, last year about people shoulder surfing, iPhone passcodes, and possibly, uh, you know, then taking a device. Not possibly, they would take an iPhone device. And if you have a passcode and an iPhone, you basically have free reign to do a lot of stuff inside the phone. And so this feature is meant to mitigate that. So stolen device protection, once you enable it, it means that for certain parts of your settings, like iCloud passwords, changing your Apple ID password, turning off stolen device protection, it actually requires your biometric authentication, be it Face ID or Touch ID, 
in order to change that feature, there's not a passcode fallback. So, you know, sometimes like if you want to get into your iCloud passwords, Face ID fails like twice, and then it tells you, uh, you know, put in your iPhone passcode and you'll be able to unlock it. Stolen device protection, when it's enabled, you don't get that option. It requires Face ID or Touch ID no matter what, when you have this enabled. And then if you want to change some of those settings, you're required to wait 60 minutes before you can make some of the changes to like change your Apple ID password and things like that. So in the event someone did steal your phone and had your passcode, that you would have time, namely an hour, to possibly wipe that device remotely by logging into the Find My app on iCloud.com or, you know, canceling your credit cards, doing things like that. So this is a much request feature. The one uh, issue I have with it, actually, I don't know if you've kind of poked around with it, but you don't need to wait those 60 minutes. And you also, uh, it, it'll fall back to passcode if you're in a significant location, which is what Apple calls it, and basically a trusted location, which you have trusted locations in Find My, where you know you don't have to get notifications if you leave something behind. But this is a little different. If you, on your iPhone, you go to Settings, and then you go to Security and Privacy, and I'm going to go do it right now because I want to show it on Privacy and Security, Location Services, you scroll all the way down to System Services, then scroll all the way down, and you'll see Significant Locations. These are the places that it's talking about. And so this is kind of what the, oh, I got to turn my brightness down. The significant location screen. And the problem is it doesn't like tell you what all your significant locations are. It tells you there's 193 records of significant <laughs> locations, which the last time I opened this up, it showed me my local Publix, which is like a supermarket here in Lakeland. So if someone steals my iPhone at that Publix, does that mean they can turn it off right. without my face ID? So I thought that was a little strange. Have you enabled it? And have you, know, have you played around with it? No, I have not enabled it. Oh. I'm actually not even sure that I've updated to 17.3 yet, which would be the reason oh my why God. I wouldn't. Jason, we do a tech it. podcast. I don't know if you heard. Hey, we do a tech podcast. It's we a talk true about Apple. story. Yeah, I'm still on. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I went around for like a week telling everyone, don't upload, update your iPhone because it was like you told everyone it was bricking people's phones. And so I turned oh, off the beta. Automa- beta. Yeah. Well, I turned off yeah. the automatic updates. And so I haven't done it yet. But I think oh, I see. I see. the location thing is interesting. So I hadn't really explored that. I think for a lot of people, they're thinking like, I don't understand. You can't get into my phone if you don't have both of those things. If you don't have my phone in your hand and you don't also have the passcode or my face. Right. And if you have my face, then I have other problems. I don't care about you getting into my phone at that point. It's a Hannibal Lecter problem. Yeah. But what? Or a face off. Isn't that there's that movie, the Nicolas mm. Cage movie? Yeah, there you go. That's right. John Travolta. Yeah. But if you did have someone's phone and their passcode, the the real issue was you have always been able to change your iCloud password right. with just your device and the passcode. And the reason Apple did that is actually like very helpful because right. people will use either a complex password. They're, they're trying to get people to use better passwords. And if you use a password that you can't remember, which is kind of what you're supposed to do, and then you lose that password, right. you lose everything if you can't get into your iCloud account. And if somebody does that, if they were to turn change your iCloud password, the problem is you can no longer find the phone because you can't use Find My. You can't recover right. your data. You can't do any of those things. So Apple's trying to find a way to balance those two things. And I think the way they came up with is actually really smart because yeah. you have to have the device, you have to have unlocked the device, but then in order to do certain things, not everything on your phone, but to change certain features, certain things, you have to do the biometric authentication twice. So, and I was like, why an hour apart? And it's pretty obvious that if you get mugged 
and they hold the phone up to your face, right? And then they try to leave. Right. They'd have to like, now they have to take you hostage for an hour <laughs> in order to just change your passcode. For an hour. And I feel like stealing someone's iPhone because most of the time, the, the people who are doing this at least, and again, we should give a lot of credit to the Wall Street Journal, to Joanna Stern and Nicole Wynn, who, yeah. who reported on this and literally got Apple to change a major security setting on their phone as a result of their reporting. But the people who were doing this, they don't really care about your personal information. They just want your phone so that they can resell it and they change your iCloud password so you can't find them. So you can't find your phone, so you right. can't recover it. And so the no one is gonna go through that much trouble just to get your iPhone. It's just not, it's just not worth it. So this is a step in the right direction. Right. You do raise an interesting question, like what if it happens while you're at one of those locations? Right, exactly. So and you said there's a hundred and some? There was like 193 locations listed on my device. And like, I would love to know what those are. I'll, you can clear the history. So you can start from scratch, but I don't know how those 193 got there to begin with. And so I would love to granularly control. Like, I just want to put my home address, yeah. my mom's house, and pretty much that's it. <laughs> like, I just want those two in there. These are actually, this is a, an article from Mac Rumors. I'll put it in the show notes. These are the things that would require face ID or touch ID if you have stolen device protection enabled which is viewing your passwords, applying for a new Apple card, viewing your Apple virtual card, like your numbers, turning off loss mode, erasing all content and settings, things like that. And then the one hour delay is enabled if you try to change your Apple ID password, your device passcode, removing face ID, turning off find my and turning off stolen device protection. I, I do think it's a great step for security. I don't know if you've ever been in the situation, you know, people were like, how do people get people's passcodes? I can't tell you how many times I've been at an event like I was at a baseball game a few months ago and I could literally look two rows down and see someone with the big nine, you know, the 10 digit things and they just put in their passcode and I clearly saw the passcode. Yep. Like I wasn't even trying. And so I, I do think right. uh, there's a lot of people that don't think about it. They've never had their device stolen and so it's not a big deal. And this isn't like an epidemic. You know, Joanna Stern did find a number of people who this had happened to and it did affect their entire lives. Like they lost a lot of money. They lost all their photos. So this has happened. Uh, I do think, you know, some features Apple will update and put it on by default. This is not. This is you have to physically opt in, like manually opt in and enable this. I almost wonder, maybe it should have been opt out. You think they should have kept it on by default or is it it would be hard to... I think they I think they did it right, and I'll make the case for why. This is a thing that most people don't need. Just to be candid, like most people, mm. because if you if you were to read the reporting, this is a is a very much a social engineering thing, right? The people who are having this happen to them are at a bar. They're interacting with people that they don't necessarily know. They've just met them for the first time, and it turns out that those people are just trying to put them in a situation where they will do what you described at the baseball game, which is just type in their passcode, and then they do that. That now the thief has the passcode, and some period of time later. They just swap, swipe the phone from the person and leave. Right. Most like the average person is is not in that situation. You described it, that it's not an epidemic. No, it's still a bad thing that happens if it happens to you. And it's still a, right. a vulnerability of the device. But I think for most people, the inconvenience of I just want to change my iCloud password or I just want to turn off, you know, whatever it is. I just want to change my right. device passcode. I just want to do these things. But having to wait an hour to do that, most people will get super annoyed and not want anything to do with that. So and the nice thing, it is a toggle. You could choose if you're going on a trip somewhere, you could turn this on. Right. right? And then if you get home and you don't need it, you can just turn it off. Like 
you'd have to wait yeah. an hour to turn it off probably but <laughs> although well if you're a trusted location just go to your supermarket oh that's true you if you get home just don't do it at Publix. <laughs> anyway <laughs> so i think they made the right call in this case i think there are other situations where they maybe they should have done it differently but it, i do think for most people this is not this is not a level of protection that they probably really need uh but it is good to know that they have provided a way to get around because really security is always just a, a trade-off right it's a trade-off to your convenience and apple i think is erring on the side of we can make your device more secure it will be less convenient you decide if that's if you're okay with that so basically every bouncer at every bar they yeah. should say let me see your id let me see your stolen device protection let's make sure it's on let's <laughs> that's turn it on every bar that's just what they do yep that was the major feature of 17.3 and the other big one was collaborative playlists, which I think people will enjoy using. So you can create a playlist or set one of your current playlists and send a link or have a QR code be scanned. And you can have other people add songs to that playlist. You can add songs back, reorder it, and then you can even react with emojis to other songs that people have put in the list. I actually did this uh, in the YouTube video that I did for iOS 17.3. I actually showed a QR code on screen and I was like, let's see how many people we can get collaborating in a playlist? Well, the number is 100. 100 is the max. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it is, that is the max number of people. Uh, this was a playlist we put together. It's uh, me and 99 others. Awesome. And uh, the first song I put in there was Never Gonna Give You Up. I was trying to Rick Roll everybody yeah. uh, right from the start. I, thought that I feel good. like that's a good band name, though. Steven Robles and 99 others. <laughs> that would be good. Uh, but it's all trumpet music. It's all trumpet oh, music. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, be a brass choir. Right. So that's interesting. I think for uh, our bonus listeners and our members, uh, we're going to do a primary tech collaborative playlist. And so you'll need to listen to the bonus episode, which you can support the show in Apple Podcasts or at primarytech.fm. And uh, we'll do one uh, for, for you guys, see what songs you come up with. And uh, don't, sp don't spam the list with like 10,000 songs. I had one user do that out of, like, <laughs> out of nowhere. It was like, there's 10,000 songs in this playlist. I was like, what? So anyway. <laughs> That's one of the, the risks you run into. So yeah. 10,000 songs, 607 hours uh, is the my current YouTube playlist. So. Wow. Isn't there, wasn't that like the tag? Oh, no, that was 1,000 songs in your pocket. You've way exceeded the capacity of the original iPod. So good job. That's it. That's it. Oh, I have an iPod right over here. Where'd my iPod go? Here, this is one. an iPod video. This was my first iPod. I got one back there on the shelf. Oh, mine looks a lot like that, but mine's white. It's right back there on the shelf. So the iPod video was the glossy front. And then, you know, the iPod classic, which came out later, was like the matte, matte finish. But okay. this, uh, I had sold my, or gave away my original one. So I literally bought this on eBay just to have like a prop because <laughs> I like having it. Uh... So it does work. You can plug it in. But with the latest Mac OS, you can't add songs. It doesn't say. Yeah, that's what happens to my iPod. Uh, it, it, it'll turn on and it'll even keep a charge, but you can't do anything to it because if you try plugging it in, it's like looking for iTunes, which hasn't been available on a Mac for a while now. So I wonder if I plug yeah, it into yeah. a PC because they still make iTunes for PCs. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good I got point. I got a Windows computer should, well, somewhere. A PC, All right. I'll have to try it. I'll, I'll try and I'll All let right, you so know. Good content. Okay, yeah, try, try let me know because I might uh, I'll run it in a virtual machine if it does work. All right. <laughs> so, all right. So to to expand past Apple, Microsoft briefly crossed the three trillion dollar market cap value, which I, I'm not like super Wall Street uh, knowledgeable <laughs> or investor, but I know this is a big deal. And uh, yeah, this was they actually crossed Apple uh, briefly. Yep. Uh, as far as market cap value for uh, for like one day, it was a couple weeks ago. But they crossed it. I mean, it's a big number. So can you tell me about it? So this is actually the second time. Well, it's actually not just the second time, but it is the second time in the last couple of years that Microsoft and Apple have been sort of 
going back and forth in last, it was a week or two ago. Yeah. Microsoft was above Apple, mostly because Apple had come down. Microsoft had gone up. And then yes, was it when Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday? I can't exactly remember which day it was. They did briefly cross $3 trillion. Apple sits just above $3 trillion right now. Wednesday. But the reason I think this is interesting has absolutely nothing to do with Apple actually. And more to do with the fact, the reason that Microsoft is back here, right? Microsoft was the largest tech company for a long time, mostly because of Windows, right? And then a few years ago during the pandemic, when everyone was like using Teams and stuff, they became, they, they got bigger as well. It's true. Like they, during right. the pandemic, when remote work was suddenly a necessity for basically everyone, all the that productivity software became even more important for people. But the reason right now that they're where they are is because of, OpenAI, ChatGPT, and the way that Microsoft is building it all into all of their products. And I actually think it's fascinating. I did write a, my, they had an event back in, I think September, which was like purportedly, like at least on the surface, no pun intended, supposed to be an event where they were going to introduce surfaces. That yeah, that was good. That was really the reason for the event. But they introduced two weird surfaces, like a Surface Go laptop, which is like their ultra portable pretty much useless computer. And then, I mean, they make some really good computers that just isn't one of them. <laughs> sure. And then they make the, I think it's the surface maybe studio, but it's the laptop studio. that sort of folds around and does interesting things. And then the entire rest of the, the presentation. In fact, the only thing anyone wanted to talk about was how they were launching these co-pilots and they were putting them in everything. You can have a co there's co-pilots in windows. There's co-pilots in Excel. There's co-pilots in, in Bing. There's just like all of this stuff in, I think it's really interesting, and I might even write about this because Microsoft is on the verge of becoming the largest company in the world again because it's doing the thing Google can't do. You would expect Google to be the one that is completely owning this. Uh, actually, that's not it. That's the Surface Studio. It's not mm-hmm. the Surface Laptop one. Sorry, we're looking at screen. So if you're just listening to this, this is the worst podcast of you all can time. Go to, no, no, you can go to youtube.com slash primary tech show and see all the things. Yeah, this was actually a tech event you uh, actually went to, right? Yeah, I actually went to it. It was in New York City. It was it's one of their laptops. It's the Surface laptop that folds out and does interesting things. We'll find it. And anyway, you know this this is just indicative, like naming things. You know how you I know? am with names. <laughs> well, but also, good. but also, like I know we're not talking about Apple right now, but the line of MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, and then just different sizes. And then right. it's just very clean. And this is like, just looking at Microsoft websites, like Surface Pro 9, Surface Go 3, Surface Laptop 5, Laptop Studio. Like it's very, I don't know. I don't think it's. It's the Surface Laptop Studio 2 is the one that I'm referring to, which is a laptop that folds down and the screen like does. Here it some is. Very, yep. There you go. Thank you. I really, I feel better. I appreciate you stalling there for a minute so I could like look in my notes and remember what it was. Anyway, <laughs> the, the crazy thing, we just spent five minutes talking about it and that's more time than Microsoft spent talking about these at the event when they actually <laughs> announced them, just to be clear, because all they wanted to talk about was AI. And going back to my point, which was right. they are, it's such an interesting thing because you would expect a company like Google, which for all intents and purposes, everything Google does is what we would call AI, right? It's machine learning. It's trying to discern what it is you think and then give you back answers that you like. They talk about, I mean, the whole Samsung event, a lot of that was was Google's features with AI. And the problem is Google is not really able to do the, the thing it really wants to do, which is including AI in search because one, 
it, it just lies to you, right? Go, not Google, the but AI generative stuff. AI just makes stuff up. So there's a huge reputational risk. Yeah, there's a huge reputational risk for Google, and there's also a huge revenue risk for Google. So it's having a hard time. Microsoft, on the other time, on the other hand, has none of those problems because nobody uses Bing and nobody depends on <laughs> Bing. No, like it's true. Like. It's true. It's no true. one used Bing before ChatGPT was built into it. And then they just do it for entertainment. Nobody really uses it as their way of accessing information on the internet. Right. So Microsoft is doing the smart thing. They're building these AI tools into the places where people will actually use them and where they'll actually be really useful, which is summarizing your information you already have. You have a spreadsheet of right. data and it does things. It'll tell you stuff and then it can cross-reference that with your emails and it can look at the documents you have and it can just do all these things that Google's going to get there, but they're much more cautious, much more worried about the reputational risk of all of this, where Microsoft's just letting it fly. And it's working because... Right. The investors are like, give us more. This is the future. And for a company like Microsoft, which basically dominated the personal computers and then missed out on the Internet and missed out on mobile, they see this as the next platform wave. And they're like, we're there. And so I just think it's fascinating. I think Microsoft is a sort of under the radar boring company because we just think of them as like the people that make Microsoft Word and PowerPoint, which we'll talk about later. (laughs) But really, yes, really, they're making those products really interesting using AI. So that is good. I mean, honestly, I I don't think about I feel like when people talk about Microsoft software, it's either begrudgingly or like, yeah, I know that exists or I have to use it. You know, Microsoft Teams, I think so many companies during the pandemic and afterwards were basically forced to switch to that because their companies already pay for Microsoft Office. And they were like, we're not going to pay for Zoom premium when we already have Microsoft Teams. Like we have food at home. We're not getting takeout. We have leftover spaghetti and meatballs in the fridge. And that's basically why a bunch of people had to start using Teams. Although I've never heard anyone speak like positively about teams, like they just love teams. You know, they say it works, which obviously it's a Microsoft product. Like of all the things, reliability is is what they're going to focus on. Right. But when it comes to their other software, like Office, I mean, it's decades old when you think about Microsoft Word uh, and in all the conversations about the 40 years of the Mac, which we're going to get to later, some of the talk was like Microsoft had to really come with their software in those early days for it to really start picking up some steam and some user base. And so like, Office has been around forever. But like you're saying, I do think it is telling that Microsoft is like all in on the AI. Like we talked about the co-pilot button that Microsoft is going to replace on the keyboards of their computers, which is like replacing the Windows button yep. with a co-pilot button. They obviously believe in the AI. So yeah, I agree. I think it's fascinating. Well, and yeah, you, you talk about Microsoft in the early days of the Mac. That's true. like, it was in, what is it, 1997 when Steve Jobs comes back to the company, he gets up on the on the stage to give a keynote at I think Mac world. And there's this just giant video of Bill Gates overhead looking down at him because Bill Gates had Microsoft had invested money and said, we will commit to putting our products on the Mac. There probably wouldn't be a Mac today, maybe not an Apple today had that not happened. And so you're right. So Microsoft, like it, it is just super interesting. They're very content being right under the radar. You know, they have a cloud services business, which is smaller than Amazon's and they're fine with that. Like they have, I mean, they want to grow it, but like in all of these spaces, it, it doesn't matter. They have so much room to run, which is weird for a $3 trillion tech company. That's always been basically dominant. And it's because right. they're just quietly doing their thing, right? They're just client and, mm-hmm. and they have such a wide install base. You're right. Teams basically beat Slack, not because it was better, but because mm-hmm. every single enterprise salesperson for Microsoft is like, why are you paying eight bucks a month for 30,000 Slack licenses when we just give you this as part right. of 
Windows 365 or whatever. So I will say, um, you know, for our Apple audience, though, I'm going to complain about one Windows thing, which is I have this one online email account that I need to use for a, a work thing. And it requires the Microsoft Authenticator app. Yep. Which I don't know if you're familiar with this, but this is like a. I use it every day. Do you really? Uh, yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You use it to save like your two-factor authentication codes, or you use it for like just for a bespoke login? I. <laughs> for it's just the thing I like to carry around is the Microsoft Authenticator app. No, I have to use. Yeah. It. So here's the thing: there is a service uh, VPN that I have to use in order to get into the CMS to publish articles. And so okay. I just now use it for all my two-factor stuff. Every two-factor code that I have. Now, I know I can move really? those over to Passwords app. I'm, I probably should do that. But like, yeah, I have a whole whole list of them. Is it like, am I, can, can, if you show that, is that a really bad idea? You'd have all my two-factor codes. I mean, it just depends what, what information's on screen. All my two-factor codes for, yeah, for like Discord, Instagram, Jason, wait a minute. All mi these things. Jason. I'm using it for it. What's wrong with it? It's just a it's just an authenticator. There's Google, Microsoft, like the login that I have to do, it's not the normal two-factor login. It's like a special it's Microsoft. The thing that says tap the number, tap the tap number 88 to confirm this login. You, you yeah. literally get a notification yeah. from the app. You have to tap that and then you have to put in the two-digit number you're seeing in your web browser in the app. Yeah. Then it scans your face. Like, why can't it just be a pass key? Or normal two-factor code. Like, mm -hmm. it is, I guess, maybe for all the suits, it feels more secure that you have to, like, put in a two-digit number specifically each time. You just can't autofill it when I'm trying to log into this one account. Yeah, I get it. It's not good. But Jason, no, don't use that for your two-factor codes. iCloud passwords. But when I started using this, that wasn't an option. Yeah, fair enough. And now fair they're all in here. Yeah. <laughs> And it is it is difficult to like move them all over. Although you can import the next thing I know the next thing I know we're gonna be recording this podcast on Teams. It's just a no, downhill, no, no. like you can't avoid it. <laughs> no, no, we record on Riverside exclusively, <laughs> just so everybody knows. I just okay? wanted to get this see I set on? you out perfectly. You're yeah, welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was a good setup. That was a good setup. All right, we gotta talk about uh, Apple Vision Pro a little bit because supposedly Ming Chi Kuo is out here throwing numbers, and so he's saying Looks like Apple sold 160 to 180,000 Vision Pro units during the first pre-order weekend. One of the things I thought was interesting is after that initial wave of pre-orders, and it would say it's unavailable you know, for in-store pickup, a couple of days later, Apple said in the Apple Store app, tune back in. They didn't say tune back in. They said, come back on the January 23rd at 3 p.m. Eastern to check for more availability. And this was the first time I'd ever seen an Apple product do that. And so I was actually on the MacBreak Weekly podcast at 3 p.m., which we'll talk about a little later. And I, I told them, I'm like, hey, I'm going to check this stock. So you might see me have to scan my face again, which of all the <laughs> things, like of all the, uh, you know, I, I wish you didn't have to scan your face every time you wanted to check right. the stock. Right. I just wish, or just save it. Can I just save my, my face is not going to change that much like day to day. Can I just save my face scan? But anyway. So they actually opened up more availability and I checked all the Florida stores that at that time when they kind of restocked or they opened up more stock, there was an Apple store that was get, that had an 8 a.m. appointment on launch day for February 2nd. The only problem was it was three and a half hour drive away. Uh. <laughs> I, I thought about it. I thought about it. I was going to be the wild person and like drive there the night before, <laughs> stay at a hotel. And I was like, no. It's not that serious. I mean, it's just not, it's not that serious. You already have one coming to your house. They have people who will bring them to you. You don't actually have to drive all that way. But 
But I did. I wanted the in-store experience. There were also rumors that there was going to be like a special bag. Like I guess uh, on the iPhone launch, there was like a special bag, but you only get that if you pick it up in-store. So anyway, so that was. It looks like it's you know sold 180,000 units. Uh, if you try to order online right now, March, like late mid to late March, is the delivery date. So it did slip. Whether or not that's you know a lot of sales or just the limited stock, I do find it interesting. You know, we're not sure what the review story is going to be. It's late in the week now. It comes out next Friday. Like, everyone's going to have it in their hands next Friday. You're going to have... Are you, wait, did you cancel your order yet? Yeah, I'm... Yeah, I did. I'm not... I don't you did one. cancel your yeah, order? Yeah, yeah. Not even a week. You still uh, had time. Uh, no, because they were good. They, I, I'm pretty sure they charge people's credit cards pretty quick, so... Yeah, they did already. They charge it very fast. Then I have yeah. to start doing paperwork, so I didn't want to have to do the paperwork. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay, well, one of us will have an Apple Vision Pro uh, next time. Now, I we're not gonna. I, I can't. I can't record like after I get the Vision Pro because it's probably gonna be like two p.m. Friday afternoon. So yeah, we'll just do a normal show next week, so everybody knows. And then the week after, uh, I'll join the show with Apple Vision Pro mm-hmm. on my face, and Jason will will not apparently because he canceled his order. I will. I mean, I did cancel my order. That doesn't mean ex- that I. I mean, you just told me I could drive. Well, it's not three and a half hours for me. It'd be like 23 and a half hours and I could go pick one up at, in Tampa or wherever. So, yeah, And honestly, a lot of the stores actually near me, they don't have a launch day, but you can still pick it up February 3rd and February 4th at a lot of different locations. Okay. So it's, the availability is there, even if it's just not for the exact launch day. But anyway. Yeah. It is amazing still- though. If you think about it, 180,000 Vision Pros is like very small number compared to the number of iPhones they probably sell on pre-order. But that's over $600 million worth of Vision Pros that they just sold. Pretty good. Plus that's the accessories. I mean, Those accessories aren't but I mean, cheap. <laughs> Yeah, that travel case, you're right, is, you know, probably helping to boost that a little bit. But I think about that in the context of people we're talking about, like, they're, yes, that's a small amount of demand, but it's a very expensive. I would love to know when the new MacBook Pros came out, how many people bought those on launch day, right? Was it more than 180,000? Like, I don't know, but that's the only device that Apple sells that's really comparable. I mean, the Mac Pro, obviously, but I assume no one buys that. But like, no one buys so that. I don't know what what the other comparable thing would be. It's like buying three and a half iPads, basically. So I, I that it feels like that's a pretty successful launch. I don't know what Apple's expectation was, but if the if the date if the shipping dates are slipping, it seems like Apple sold what it expected to. Apple sold what it expected to. So there's going to be a lot of people, at least I know in Florida, because you know launch day sold out. There's going to be a lot of people wearing Apple Vision Pros around. I'm curious if we will see reviews like with normal Apple launches. You know, I looked back to the Apple Watch because I feel like that was the last time a major product category was something that Apple was entering. And The Verge had a review of the original Apple Watch come out April 8th, I believe, 2015, which was two days before pre-orders opened. Pre-orders opened like, I think, April 10th. And then it was like April 24th was the launch date where you would actually get it shipped to your house if you bought it. So that was like reviews, then pre-orders, then the actual launch. Recently for like iPhone and iPad, now it's been more like pre-order, reviews come out a few days before the launch, and then there's the launch of the product. Right now, there's like a week span between now and the actual launch of this product. There's still a possibility we'll see a few reviews, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday of next week before the product actually comes out. I have a feeling, I don't have any data on this, it's going to be a lot less, like, you know, with the iPhone and with iPads, 
you can go on YouTube, like whenever the embargo lifts and there's like a hundred videos you can watch with the products, yeah. maybe not a hundred, but you can watch like 20, 30 reviews, early reviews of products at the embargo date. I just feel like that's not going to be the case with this. A, Apple didn't have a problem selling it. I don't think they're trying to sell a ton more right now. Like they right. can wait until normal people get it. But B, I almost wonder, you can tell me what you think, Jason. Apple did this weird like pre-press things, you know, where they had like Al Roker and MKBHD and Nick and Eli Patel. I'm still bitter about that, by the way. I, Al Roker really, <laughs> that still, was where I draw the line. I can handle MKBHD. I, I was still but. a little, <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. So, you know, they do this thing where Apple took the pictures of the people wearing the Apple Vision Pro. They've been very carefully curating the story, except for what, these tech people post on Instagram. And I don't know, I almost wonder if Apple rather it just get into the hands of the masses before a bunch of colored commentary is put out there about it from early reviewers. I don't know. Okay, I do have thoughts. Yeah. Comparing it to the Apple Watch, I think might be the wrong comparison because people knew what to do with a watch, right? The Apple watch was new. It wasn't really sure. the first wearable device, but it was, you know, watch wearable device, but it was new and it was, it was unique and different from anything else that had come before. But people understood, like you put it on your wrist, right? You just, all you have to do is do you want like, and actually was the original Apple watch in multiple sizes? Or it was only one size. I don't even know. It was two sizes. Okay. It was 38. So you just had to decide, do you want little or big, <laughs> right? The, the bands, the, there's nothing to like, they just work, right? They're interchangeable. They're super easy. Like there was very little about that. The, there weren't as many failure points. I mean, the software wasn't amazing on the original Apple watch, but it was still, especially looking back, but, but people knew what to do with it, even if Apple wasn't sure what it was for yet. Reviewing it was sure. not difficult, right? It, whereas this, the Vision Pro has so many potential failure points. You know, did it fit wrong? Did sure. you not know what you're doing? They, so they have handheld this much more in a, diff, in a very different way because, right. because it's such an expensive device and because there are so many failure points. And I just reflect back to WWDC having sort of the hands-on experience, the demo, and afterwards, there was an opportunity, you're sitting in, we were sitting in a little seating area with like some product people, not the people who had done the demo, and a couple of other media, press, journal type, journalist type people who were sitting there, and we were given a chance to ask some questions, and they didn't want to ask, answer any tech questions, right? And in fact, one really? of the things that they said was, you know, today is not about tech specs. It's about the experience. And okay. which is a very Apple thing to say. <laughs> but I think that the point was yeah. that if once you put this thing in the hands of a reviewer who knows how to review technology hardware, they're going to be poking at it and prodding at it. And they're not necessarily going to... Not that they won't talk about the experience, but Apple wants to just sell you the experience right now. They are selling a very specific story and they want to control that for as long as they possibly can. And you give this thing to MKBHD and he's going to like, who will do an amazing job. I really want to see him review this thing because he's yeah. one of the best tech reviewers that there are other than, you know, the best voice on the internet, internet, Stephen Robles, I'll try not to take trademark. Oh, okay. Anyway, but you know, he's, it's not going to just be about the experience. It's going to be about how this thing was built. What kind of technology is in there? What is that technology doing? And so I think what Apple wants to, the kind of the impression I got was, this thing is amazing. The technology, we figured it out. Just put it on and experience the experience. And so right. I think they're trying to keep that sort of veil of yeah. 
the it's like mystery utopia hey, don't look a at the veil man of behind utopia. the curtain it's a veil of utopia is that a thing veil, there's a there's a title for you that's part of the episode title. Of yeah absolutely yeah there you go so i think that they're trying to maintain that as long as possible and moving you know and then they'll move past that once they're in people's hands so thank you for the episode title i had one question before we move on from apple vision pro because you used it yeah when you're wearing it and it's on battery where is the battery icon can you see like the battery percentage in your view do you remember i never saw one now that doesn't mean that there wasn't one but listen you have to realize that it is a sensory overload because not only can you see the room you're in but there's just all kinds of interesting things and things are sort of like lighting up by lighting up i mean indicating that this is the selected piece of the interface as you move your eyes around (laughs) so everything you look at suddenly becomes a thing that you can just like select by pinching your fingers together so a battery icon was not a part of the demo (laughs) i don't think that they were really concerned with you but i'm sure you could have just asked siri how much you know battery do i have yeah but i mean people love putting the actual number percentage in their battery icon which don't do that. Do it. I know everybody does it. No, no. See, that this we're on the opposite side of the spectrum here. Don't do it. You don't need that much granular. I thought it was better when they only had the number and not the fill part of it. No, no, no. No, 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 no. All right. You don't need the number. It's not, it's not that serious. Look at the widget. You can look at the widget for the percentage. You can uh, swipe down from control center. You can see the percentage. Don't stress yourself out. You know what I mean? Mm. Life is short. You don't be thinking about your battery that much. I, but, I, I tried it for a while and my life was way more stressful, honestly. Really? That's interesting. Well, yeah. with Apple Vision Pro, like I'm curious because two hours on that battery. Yep. And if you want to start a movie, you kind of want to know what that percentage is at. So I was just curious, like, are you going to like, you have to look in the upper right hand corner of your room? Do you have to like, I don't know. I just I'm, I want to, if anybody knows out there who maybe tried Vision Pro or you just know, where, where's the battery? Where's the battery icon? I just want to know. That's an important piece of information that we would like to break exclusively on this podcast. So somebody reach out to us. Let us know where is the battery indicator. Where is the battery indicator? All right, got to talk about uh, Netflix getting into live TV, sideloading on the iPhone in the EU, in the Apple Car, and then we'll get to some personal tech. But we actually don't have a sponsor for today's episode. Our wonderful sponsor, Audio Hijack and Rogue Amoeba, they have a couple episodes coming next month. But I thought I would take a moment and say, A... Well, they're not going to hear this because I'm going to cut this out for the members. But thank you to all the members who are currently supporting the show on Memberful and Directly on Apple Podcast. And so we are appealing to you, viewers who are on YouTube, listeners in your podcast app. We would really appreciate your direct support. And you can support Primary Technology. There's two plans, $5 a month or $50 a year. I actually had a couple people reach out and said they want to do the $50 annual on Memberful. And so that's now an option. You can go do that. So you can do a whole year. You can do a month and you get an ad-free version, which means you wouldn't be hearing this right now, which is kind of an ad for our own show. But hey, I think we should, we're going to do it. Yeah. And then you also get bonus content. We have a bonus episode that comes out every week alongside the main episode. And we talk about interesting stuff. This week, we're going to talk about slides. Keynote, Google Slides, Jason's experience uh, with those. Uh, the, was it middle schoolers? Where did you, who are you talking No, they're about? high school students. A high school journalism high class. School, high school journalism class. It's very interesting. Yeah. So. We would love your support. And if you can't do that, we totally understand. Enjoy the show, the free version. Watch on YouTube. Listen everywhere. Put it on repeat, uh, whatever you'd like to do. You could also support the show with that five-star rating and review. That'll also help us out. But we appreciate your support. There's lots already supporting the show, and we really appreciate it. So, you know, we'll put the links in the uh, description. We appreciate it. Jason, Netflix is getting into live TV. And uh, with, of all, of all sports? No, not sports. What do you call it? I mean, it's I technically sort of sports, but... 
They're getting you know into the least authentic live TV <laughs> you can possibly like. There is there is layers of nuance of like you're 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 making a point of you're getting into live TV and it's sports, but it's pro wrestling. It's which, pro. Listen, it's I'm not knocking pro wrestling. I'm just saying no, like no. that's a stretch because it's the least. I don't know. I don't even know. Probably the least when it comes to being live or not. I don't know. I, I've not watched wrestling, so I don't want to disparage any live wrestling watchers. But anyway, Netflix strike struck struck a deal. Yes, strike struck. They struck stroke a deal. They no, they no, came no. up with a deal. <laughs> they came up with a deal with the WWE that in January 2025, so one year from now, they will be the exclusive streamer, I believe, of WWE Monday Night Raw. And it's like a 500 million dollar deal. It's going to be for 10 years. This is a 10-year deal, which is a $5 billion commitment. Netflix did it. I mean, I think this is telling, A, that Netflix, like getting into live TV, I have an experience with my mom's antenna that I'm going to talk about in a second, but like (laughs) getting into live TV is differentiating it. I don't know if you've seen more and more, like Netflix is becoming, I saw an article recently that it's kind of becoming like old school cable where they're licensing some of the movies that you might want to see. They're licensing more of the TV shows again because these other streaming services realize that's how you make money. Okay, this is interesting. I'm also curious. I know there was lots of talk with Apple TV and football maybe like a year ago or two years ago, which didn't pan out just yet. But are streamers going to be getting into more live TV sporting events, you think? I mean, so this is actually sort of confusing because I, I was actually just looking this up because I was pretty sure that the WWE, they had their own streaming service maybe, and then they became a part of Peacock. Okay. I'm pretty sure that for a long time they were a part of Peacock. So I was just looking this up to try to figure out like, how does that work? So wrestling was already on streaming and now they're going to be streaming on Netflix instead of on Peacock. And I'm probably getting some of these details wrong because I don't. It says right here, WWE's current deal with NBC has raw airing on USA Network until October 2024. So it seems like that deal ends October this year, and then Netflix picks it up January 2025. Got and it. Netflix will become the exclusive home of, quote, Raw <laughs> in the U.S. Which is quite so. the thing to claim. Anyway, I so I think sports is always like the holy grail of television, right? Because it is yeah. the thing that one draws the most viewers. I mean, if you look at the charts that they put out of the like top 100 show, you know, television broadcast of over course of year, 97 of them are the NFL. One of them is the college championship. One of them is the Oscars. And one of them is, I don't, you know, some other random, some other random thing, probably the big game, right? We can't say the S word. I can say the Super Bowl. It's It's fine. So, but that's one of the, that's one of the 97. We're not like saying, we're we're not going to get taken down for saying it. I don't know. Does YouTube have, do they do content strikes for saying the word? You just can't claim you're having a Super Bowl party if you're a high school, middle school youth group, because then there's confusion (laughs) about like the trademark. But I'm pretty sure that we can state that it exists in the world. In fact, I'm sure they would like us to. Anyway. Okay. I know. I was always afraid to say it because I knew it was like a big deal. That's why everybody said like, whenever you go into like back in the day, Circuit City or you go to Supermarket now, it's like the big game food the big game tv sales the big game you know you can't yeah Yeah, because they do yeah anyway i I think we're i think we're fine okay um if we get to the point where we have enough people watching this that people from the nfl see this and like i will we'll deal with it that'll be great we've made it we can hire a lawyer at that point we can re-edit the show cut that piece those words out you can add the big game i'll bleep it out we'll do ADR. you know we'll redub this episode for anyway the big game yeah anyway so i i do think that that is the i mean 
as we mentioned, like MLS is on Apple TV, right. Major League Baseball and just different places. The Thursday night games on Prime, uh, on Prime Video. Prime Video had a Friday Black Friday game where you could like watch <laughs> the commercials and like scan QR codes and like buy. Th- anyway, yes, I think that the streaming services are going to do everything that they can to get as much sports as possible. And it might have been yeah. on. It was either on the um, Ben Thompson's Stratechery podcast, or, you know, one of his articles, or it was Dithering, where they were talking about like expect to see more ESPN stuff designed mm. for like streaming services for like the Vision Pro, for example. So I think that like that is yes, that's the direction this is headed. Wrestling, I don't I know, wanna, but yeah, yeah. When it comes to live TV, I'll just say so. My mom has had a TV for like fourteen years, and it was starting to blip out, and so it was time to get her new TV. <laughs> She's had the same TV for fourteen years. You're saying okay? It made, same, you made it sound like she TV. just got a TV fourteen years ago, and I was no, like, <laughs> no, no, okay. no, no, no. We we had a tube TV my entire uh, childhood. She needed a new TV. The old one was blipping out, so we got the new one. And she had an antenna, one of those like $15 squares with a rounded corner antennas you put near your window to get local live TV channels for free, which is still a thing you can do. And it still works pretty good most of the time. We got this new TV in. And for some reason, with the exact same antenna set up, a lot of the main channels like Fox, NBC, and CBS were like starting to like blip out with the green and the other stuff. Like you just, it was unwatchable. So I was like, oh my goodness. All right, live TV. So I tried a couple other antennas. It wasn't working. And then I looked into, I don't know. I don't know if you subscribed to any of these or if you ever looked into the prices, but I was like, what does YouTube live TV, Sling TV, what do they cost to get your local channels live to just stream it on the Apple TV in their app? YouTube TV is like $75. Sling to get local channels is like 60 something dollars. Hulu live TV to get local channels is also $70. The last time I had looked, they were like 30 to 40, which I almost considered paying. And I was like, it'll just be easier. She could just stream all this. She has like the cloud DVR or whatever. But when I saw $75 for YouTube live TV, I was like, no, I'm going to make this work. (laughs) So I literally bought like three different over the air antennas. I was over there like trying to get it to dangle from the windowsill to see like, and I found the exact spot where the antenna needs to be to get all the local (laughs) channels for free in HD. And that's, that's what we're sticking to. I'm not paying $75. It seems crazy now for that. Yeah, We do pay for YouTube TV and we, it was really like, a kick in the gut because we so we had had hulu with live tv for a long time when that first came out and when we cut cable for good right. and then it started to it started to get more expensive and not only that hulu has this thing where you can pay for hulu without ads right and so we get hulu right. as a part of the disney plus bundle with our verizon phone if you can follow that roadmap yes yeah and and we pay for hulu to not have ads so we're paying like five dollars a month for the hulu like the whole bundle right and it also has like espn streaming service the thing is some shows on hulu even if you pay for no ads still have ads because of the deal they have with like fx or whatever the the station might be and not only that you could be watching a kids movie like the crudes or something but if that movie is on let's say fx right then you you get whatever ads are on fx and those ads sometimes are not appropriate for children watching it and so we got rid of the so that the the live tv and we moved over to youtube tv and you're right it was like 45 bucks at the time it was a great deal it is less of a great deal 
now exactly. especially because the only thing we use it for is basically like we were just were talking about watching live sports we love watching you know our michigan state basketball and football that kind of thing well michigan state football wasn't that fun to watch this year but we we enjoy in the lions lions go lions all right playing san francisco next week for the nfc right, championship right. so anyway it's a lot of money for that but it honestly is a better option in a lot of ways if you have like an apple tv because you just never have to worry about it and we can take our apple tv wherever we want and we just have tv so yes so this is hulu live tv and disney plus 77 dollars a month the no ads hulu same package basically is 90 dollars a month you know my mom's not watching sports right she wants to watch like wheel of fortune when it's on (laughs) you know those those kinds of like the the network dramas or whatever that are on at 8 p.m and it's like that's no so anyway yeah uh, over the air antennas just so everybody knows they still work you just find the right one. You got to find the exact spot by the window free. <laughs> you don't have to pay anything a month. Just throwing that out there. You just have to buy a new one every 15 years. You just got to buy a new one. Yeah, no big deal. No biggie. All right. All right we got to talk about side loading. This was an article in the uh, Wall Street Journal. And it looks like because of the EU and what they've been, you know, the laws that they're passing, that in the next, possibly the next version of iOS 17.4, that at least in the EU, side loading might be something that is enabled. And people in the EU might be able to, quote unquote, sideload apps. Now, this article from the Wall Street Journal does not talk a lot about the specifics of what that will look like, which granted, Apple has not shared anything. And so curious what this is going to look like. But with the whole anti-steering that we talked about last week, where if a developer puts a link in their app and a user follows that link out, Apple is still going to get 27% of purchases made from that link. And developers are going to have to like provide a report. Sideloading as a benefit to developers or game makers like Epic Games to not have to pay Apple's tax, quote unquote, I don't think is going to be a thing. I think even sideloaded apps, and this was alluded to in the Wall Street Journal article, is that those sideloaded apps are still going to pay Apple a percentage, probably 27%, like the anti-steering. And the only benefit is that they won't have to go through the app store approval process. But the main reason, again, that developers want to do that would not to pay the 27% to Apple. And that's probably not going to be the case. And so I'm curious if this will actually be as big a deal because sideloading we've talked about on the iPhone for years. And everyone's like, yes, we want sideloading, at least a very small vocal minority. It's like, we want to sideload so we don't have to deal with whatever. And, you know, I'm sure DHH and the guys over at Basecamp and Hey would love sideloading so they don't have to deal with the App Store review process. But there's not going to be a really likely a financial benefit to these developers. So Yeah, and we, we, we did sort of call this in the sense that when I, I think it was maybe last episode of the week before where I basically said that nobody cares about you know, steering people to their website. Nobody cares about side. What they care about is the 30% or in this case, the 27%. That's the reason all of these things are happening. Nobody, I mean, the arguments that people are making, the developers are making and the regulators are making is that consumers should have choice. People should be able to do have access to do this. People should do what they want with their devices. But really, I mean, in, in consumers, that's actually a reasonable argument because I, the, the 30% doesn't really matter to me because I don't have to pay that you know, separately to Apple. It's just a part of the price. Right. And if the app is $2, like, would it be a dollar sixty? No, it would still be $2. The, the developer would just be keep making more money of it. And that's the point. The, all, the only thing that matters is that Apple's response is super interesting. I was at Web Summit, which is a big conference that they do in Lisbon, when Apple sent Craig Federighi to give a keynote yes, right. talking about 
the dangers of side loading. Like it was the most amazing thing that I have ever witnessed that it was like a purely from a straight face. And he says, he says one security found, firm found more than 5 million attacks per month on its clients using another mobile platform. He's clearly talking about Android. But there's never been this kind of widespread consumer malware attack on iOS. What's the difference? The single reason is that the other platforms allow sideloading, which is hilarious because even Epic, when they were having the fight with Apple, talking about sideloading, admitted that no one does it. Like no one uses sideloading on Android because it's just like ridiculous. It's just so much more convenient for a consumer to just go ahead and like do, you know, just order it through the app, like just buy your stuff through the app store because you know, you it's, it's a better experience for users. It's and it, honestly, right. it's probably a better experience for most developers, right? I think it was on, on ATP a week or two ago where both Marco Arment and Casey list, both of whom who have apps in the app store said, if they were given the choice to just take the payments somewhere else, they'd probably just use the app store, right? Because it's just right. easier for them. They don't want to mess with it. So I, I think right. that the logical conclusion here, and this, you have kids, so you can relate to this, but I feel like yeah. Apple is very much like the child in the back seat who keeps annoying their sibling. And so finally you're like, stop touching your sibling, stop hitting them, stop doing whatever. So they just sit in the back and instead of touching the sibling, they just start wiggling their fingers right near the imaginary line. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this okay, close. well, we're abiding by the letter of what you said I have to do, but they're nowhere right. even close to the spirit of it. And I, I just, I've said this before. I think it's really, in I mean, I love Apple. We're going to talk about the Mac in a minute. Like I, I love this, you know, it's just interesting to me that this is the approach that they're taking which is we will do yeah. the absolute minimum to comply as we think we can get away with. And we're going to force you to tell us if we're wrong. And I'm curious, like what kind of reporting they would, cause it seems like they're requiring reporting from developers with links in their apps for steering them out to the web. I'm curious if there will be a reporting required for sideloading. And I'm sure there's also going to be a thousand warning screens. If you do try to sideload an app, like danger, like this is going right. to probably ruin your iPhone or whatever to like personally, I would probably never sideload an app. Right. I mean, it would have to be really, I, I don't know what the case would be or what the app would be. There's probably no apps that that would only be sideloaded. Although, you know, companies like Meta who make apps with maybe not questionable, but they do take a lot of data from your, you know, if you look at those privacy health cards for like Instagram threads, Facebook, they try to get all the information they can. I don't know if a sideloaded app would have more access to more data on your device. I'm sure Apple would regulate that in the operating system somehow. Yeah, they're still sandboxed. I mean, yeah, the it doesn't change iOS. They're still sandboxed. Yeah. That's true. They're not they're not they're not changing any of that. So but I know me personally, I I would still just stick to the app store, even on Mac, where you can install an app from anywhere. If I can get an app from the website via a DMG file or download it from the app store, even if it's a couple dollars more, I'll download it from the app store. A, I mean, trust, security, privacy, and all that. But honestly, just ease, because then when I set up a Mac in the future, I know when I log in with my iCloud account, I'll be able to download all of the purchases I made from the Mac App Store in one place. And I like to limit how many different places I need to install the apps that I need. And there are some that aren't in the App Store because they do things that, you know, the App Store won't allow uh, on the Mac, at least. Probably won't be the case on iPhone. But I'll also say, you know, when it comes to the quote unquote Apple tax of the 27, 30% or whatever, the one, I'm not a developer, so I don't have apps in the app store, but the one area that I do have experience with is Apple podcast subscriptions. And I have done, I've offered Apple podcast subscriptions with 
three different shows, including this one. And I've offered Apple Podcast subscriptions directly in Apple Podcast app and the same subscription for the same price outside Apple Podcasts via Patreon a couple times and memberful here. And way more people sign up directly in Apple Podcasts. Yeah. It's just a numbers thing. And again, like from my own experience, I get why. Like you already have a credit card that you know is up to date because you're already you already have subscriptions on there. You're already paying for apps and stuff. And the ease of like tap tap face ID and your sign up for the subscription and the integration with Apple Podcasts, just like the integration with the App Store and the iPhone. And if it's a universal app, you buy it on your iPhone and then you can on your iPad. My kids, if I buy an app and it's shared, they can download it on their devices because we're in the same iCloud family. That ease of use and visibility, like, again, I'm not defending the whole 30% or whatever, but I will say, like, the visibility of being where Apple users are, whether that's the App Store or offering a subscription on Apple Podcasts, just being in front of more eyes has benefited us personally and me personally in multiple podcasts because more people just sign up when it's easy in the Apple apps. So. Yeah, and Apple, it seems as though it's kind of like the the idea that like if you have a trademark for something, you have to defend that trademark or you lose the trademark, right? If you, if you have a trademark on a thing and somebody else is using it and you just let it go, essentially you've diluted your trademark and now you can't go back later and sort of like claim that. And it sort of feels like that's Apple's approach with this. They're just, we are going to hold the line a hundred percent here until we're forced to move it. And then we're only going to move it that far because we, they're, they are just trying to avoid, it, it feels like they're trying to avoid where that outcome might be on its own. And I feel like the goodwill that they would earn would so far exceed any of that. I, I'm never going to load an app on my iPhone from sideloading. I'm just, I mean, I've, I have a, a, an Android phone. I've never done it on there either. I tried to do it on with Fortnite one time and I'm like, this is just too complicated. And the only reason I tried oh, to do it with Fortnite true. was during the whole thing. I wanted to see like, what is it like to sideload something? And I'm just like, I'll right, try right, it. Right. I'm like, nope, forget it. I don't, I'm never going to play this game. I just don't care that much. So, but I was right. at a speech that uh, Tim Cook gave in Washington DC in I think 2022 to cover. And it was the same thing as the Federighi thing. And he says like, his quote, I'll just read you this. It just says, here in Washington and elsewhere, policymakers are taking steps in the name of competition that would force Apple to let apps on the iPhone that circumvent the app store through a process called sideloading. And this is the money quote. That means data-hungry companies will be able to avoid our privacy rules and once again track our users against their will. So all of that is kind of true, but that's not the reason why Apple cares about this. They care about it because of sure. 30%. The EU, who is passing all of these laws, they're the reason we have USB-C on the iPhone. Should, is USB-C on the iPhone good? Yes. But should it be a government regulator that determines what components your phone should have? No, absolutely not. Like Apple should just do the right thing. The regulator should just like stop trying to force companies and people to do things. The developers, right? Like, and I don't mean small developers because I think I feel like there's a very different situation between Epic Games and and right. Marco Arment, right? right. Marco is very successful, but that's not my point. Is like the those huge developers. Netflix is a perfect example. They the experience of using Netflix on the phone, especially if you're a new customer, is worse because Netflix is so stubborn about it that they won't let you sign up in the app. Although. I, there is a funny workaround where if you download one of the Netflix games, you can actually sign up for Netflix in the app. Wow. The problem is you can only sign up for the ad supported tier and you can't change your subscription online because you can, you know, it's an in-app subscription. So it's this weird um, kind of a workaround thing. So you can't sign up for Netflix in the app, but you can sign up for Netflix in one of Netflix's gaming apps. Anyway, the point is weird. nobody looks good. 
and the people who are missing yeah. out the most are the users. It's kind uh -huh. of like, don't you just wish that these big companies and these regulators and ever, they just start like behaving and thinking about who is really going to end up paying the price, which is the people who use their products. So sorry, there's my rant. I didn't think I was going to rant no, no, that no, much about side loading this morning. I'm glad I had my second cup of coffee. Uh, yeah, yeah. That second cup of coffee is coming through. I, yeah. I think it's the same thing with the Apple Watch, where it's still surprising to me that rather than just giving Massimo whatever money they want for this blood <laughs> oxygen sensor patent, that Apple would rather put a banner on the top of their website that says Series 9 and Ultra 2 no longer have blood oxygen. Like these, they just... Doesn't come with it anymore. Same price. Sorry. It does feel a little like... Were you the one that said that they should just drop one of those Walgreens pulse ox oximeters into the box yeah. with every Apple Watch <laughs> that they ship just to spite them? Oh, no, I, didn't, a 10, I don't think $10. I said that, but that's pretty, <laughs> okay. that's pretty, that's pretty good. Though. Just ship it <laughs> in the should, box. Just ship an just, extra separate, completely separate pulse oximeter to every single yeah. person that buys one. It's like $10 at Walgreens. So Yeah, it's $6. $6 so. There you go. Anyway, all right. Last thing before we get to uh, the 40 years of the Mac and some personal tech. This is another Apple story. Is it from Bloomberg. This originally came from Mark Gurman, but that the Apple car apparently still exists and could debut in 2028. You know, it's funny. I was at Apple Insider like starting in 2014 and Apple Insider was actually one of the first to break Project Titan, which was the Apple car product. And, uh, you know, John Gruber actually linked to it on Daring Fireball. And that was, we're getting close to 10 years ago. And this Project Titan, like the fact that this is still around, I, you know, Apple is obviously still doing something in the car space, trying things, maybe developing things. Mark Gurman says that, you know, they're still going for self-driving cars, but more like a Tesla and less like, you know, some of the concepts we had heard in, in previous years was like, Apple's going to do a car with no steering wheel. And it's just going to have like two bench seats facing each other. You're never going to be able to drive it yourself. Like it's totally automated. Maybe they're going more for the Tesla model. And it is an EV with quote unquote self-driving, but still like a car, like steering wheel, all that kind of stuff. 2028, four years from now, still feels kind of soon. Like I feel like we're not going to see a car in 2028. At least I don't think so. And I, I don't, it still feels weird to me. Like I don't, I don't know how to describe it than just saying like it feels weird. And I, I just doesn't feel like Apple would, I can't see, it wouldn't be Tim Cook at this point because Tim Cook has said he's probably not going to be the CEO you know, by this time. So like who Jeff Williams comes out on stage and says, introducing Apple car. I don't know. Yeah. And everyone will just think it's the next generation of a credit card. Cause they all sound the same. I think, well, somebody, I saw somebody post this, I think on threads. It's like Apple has been saying that the, well, no, the reports have been saying that Apple will be launching a car in four years for the last nine years. <laughs> so for nine years, Apple has been four years away from launching a car. And so I put this in our show notes because I thought like, is Apple ever going to actually make a car? And I just, I don't think so. I don't think they're going to make a car. And when you look at the photo, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're not watching it on YouTube, just find any article that talks about CarPlay 2. Okay. And you'll see the, a similar picture to what I'm looking at. But nothing about that was designed by someone who understands anything about cars, right? That interface is not useful for someone. Like, I love that when you go in there, like the weather is in two different places. They're like, you just got random clocks in different places. It's like, that. do you know anything? I mean, so CarPlay, mm -hmm. right? CarPlay is a great product. It's not an amazing yeah, it. interface, but it, the reason we love CarPlay, there's three reasons. One, it's better than any garbage that a car maker puts in, with the exception of Tesla actually does a decent job. I wish I could use CarPlay, but Tesla does a good job and Rivian does a good job. Everybody else, it's just complete garbage. So CarPlay is like a 
cold drink in hell for those people. Yeah, so. yeah. But then the second thing is it's, they're all familiar. You like look at that and you know exactly what to tap on to open your maps, right. to open your music, to open your podcast, to open your right. messages, whatever it is. And then the third reason is it's like, it's also all of your information that's already on your phone. You're carrying it around because you're just basically interacting with your phone through a different screen. That's, yeah. that's the reason we like CarPlay. Apple, I think, assumes that that means that they would actually be good at doing all of the other things involved in making a car. And it's just not clear that that's ever going to be the case. And I feel like Apple is either 10 years too early because that's how long it's going to be before we ever get to like level five autonomous driving right now. They've said they were going to do level four and now they're saying like level two plus level two plus just means that it will do adaptive cruise control and keep you in the lane at the same time. That's what level two means. It can do two things at once. (laughs) And to be clear, Tesla full self-driving is level four. Right, right, but it's not real. So that, but that, if it was real, that's what it would be. I mean, now, wait, when it's wait, not driving say, into hold on, things, hold on. you say it's not real. It's not I full mean, self-driving, right? It's called okay, so, full self-driving. The car will so, not fully drive itself. So CGP Gray, he did a video where he took a Tesla Model Y, I believe, on the Dragon's Tail Road in North Carolina, and this was several years ago. Which I've ridden on, and it is ridiculous, and you throw up. It's anyway. ridiculous. And he did not touch the steering wheel or the gas for the whole ride, and, like, it did it. Like, it, it drove the thing. So, and this is just my ignorance. Like, is that not self-driving, or, like, what is that compared to what you're talking about, like, full self-driving completely? Okay, well... Okay, I have a, we have a Tesla Model S, by the way, before you send me hate mail, you're welcome to send me as much as you want. But before you send it to me, I want you to understand, I drive a Tesla every single day. Okay, so I'm not just hating on a company. Like I have a Model S, the nicest one you can get. I just want to be clear about that. Okay, it's not a plaid, whatever. You know, I waded into this and I did not think about the possible Tesla hordes that might it's fine. Come. It will generate so, plenty of engagement. This I'll is wonderful. Check. But but let me be just say kind, this. We, our, our other car is a Hyundai, Hyundai Palisade. It will also do yeah. that. It'll keep you in your lane and keep you going at the same speed on any road in America. Well, what it won't do is be like, oh, you want to go to the grocery store, sit in the back seat, and I'll get you there. That's what full self-driving sure. means to people. So that's the reason I say the Tesla is not full self-driving. Yes, it will keep you in the lane. You won't drive off of the road, but that's not the same thing as calling something full self-driving. So that's, that's now isn't, aren't there not, I feel like I've seen TikToks from people in Los Angeles or whatever, where they call an Uber or some ride share and there's no one in the car and they just sit in the backseat. Waymo. So is that self full self-driving? Yeah. But have you ever seen one of those? No, they're wearing like a crown of sensors and cameras. They're like minivans with like four feet of things on the top. So yes, I mean, you know, the monorail is is also Waymo is the name of the brand, but like the monorail is also full self-driving, right? You can get in that thing and it goes on a track and it'll (laughs) take you all the way around the magic kingdom. But like, that's not the thing you're going to use to go to the grocery store. I'm just saying, when I say it's not real, I'm saying they should stop calling it full self-driving. So anyway, sorry. That was a, that was a uh, deep tangent down a very windy no, road. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I wanted to, I was actually curious. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So these are the, the Waymo cars. I'll put this link in the show notes. W-A-Y-M-O. Yep. As you, as Jason aptly described, this thing has like, yeah, contusions and growths all over it because it's cameras and sensors and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they are saying... It's a, a fully autonomous ride. Well, but they only go on specific routes and on specific right. areas. That they're, you couldn't just get into that thing and be like, 
drive me to, you know, some place that's never been or is not care. In fact, a lot mm-hmm. of times they're very, very geofenced in terms of locations. There's a really good, I'll, I'll send Steven the link and he can include it, but there's a really good video from a guy named Kyle Connor who does a lot of EV videos taking one of these around. And it's like, you can only go from certain places to certain other places it is, which again, that's not full self like that. I think words mean things. So I get really worked up when we use words to mean things that they well, you're don't mean. You're a writer. Mean. I get it. Yeah. 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 So anyway. Uh, to be honest, Waymo is saying the world's first autonomous ride hailing service. I think yep. even they're very careful not to say, they say take a fully autonomous ride. Right. Like you are saying, they're being careful not to say like we have full self-driving cars, which. Yeah. Well, they don't even I guess make what the cars. They're just using other cars and putting a crown of. Of cameras on it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is good. This is going to make for good clips. <laughs> I was thinking that. I was thinking, I just gave Steven so much good stuff. <laughs> so that's, many clips. It's so worth it to me. Going off. So, anyway, I I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever see an Apple car, but I'm also, <laughs> I drive a 2011 Kia Soul. Jason's ahead of me on the car game, so. <laughs> well, you know. You'd, you'd be closer to getting it. Anyway. I just, the only reason I have a Tesla is so that when I write things and say things like this and people send me hate mail, I can be like, dude, I drive one. Leave, just leave me alone. <laughs> it's it's the ultimate justification of like, listen, yeah. do you have a Tesla? Right. No. Yeah, I get, I get it. Well, I, I do not. My father-in-law has a Tesla Model S and he doesn't like to drive it because he's trying to keep from putting miles on it. And I'm like, I don't know what the, if you're still paying for gas in your infinity SUV. I feel like this is, <laughs> yeah, this I is feel not like what there's you, a, Re, it's not worth having just to sit in your garage. It's not, it's not. No, worth no, it, you, no. you got to drive it. But anyway, all right, we got to talk about the 40 years of Mac. So it was the 40th anniversary of the Macintosh, which was the actual 40th anniversary was yesterday's record, which is January 24th. And was this when the commercial aired or was this when the, no, this is when it no, was the like, commercial aired two days earlier during the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. So the time, right. the 22nd was the one of, it's still one of the most iconic commercials of all time directed by Ridley Scott. You know, it's the 1984 right. commercial where the lady's running with the, I think actually, if you scroll down, you'll see just a little bit of it, but um, yeah, yeah, where it throws the big screen and it's like, why 1984 won't be like 1984 or something like that. Yeah, and then two days later is when the actual Macintosh went on sale. So that would be yesterday, yeah, 40 yeah. years ago. So there's been a lot of great pieces written. Jason has a great piece. It'll be in the show notes. Jason Snell has written several and just a lot of affinity and nostalgia for the Mac, for the original Mac. And then even for the Mac today, and I'll let Jason really wax poetically about it. I will say in one of Jason Snell's articles, he actually spoke to Steve Jobs at the 20th anniversary. And then he's talked to Phil Schiller at the 30th anniversary. And he was asking them about the max relevance at that point. And to which Steve Jobs said at the, during the 20th anniversary and Phil Schiller at the 30th, this is Phil Schiller's quote. Our view is the Mac keeps going forever. And that's just kind of like the anthem because every time there's an iPad OS update or every time like there's more Mac like features that come to the iPad, everyone always asks, does this mean the Mac is going away? Like, is the iPad the future of that? Or is just does Apple, you know, when Apple didn't make a Mac Pro for like six years, everybody was like, is the Mac dying? And I feel like, you know, your article, hearing everybody talk about it, the Mac while it might not have the affinity of younger audiences, like I think about my kids, they don't have a Mac. They don't have Macs. They don't really use a Mac. They don't even want to use a Mac. Like I've asked multiple times, like, hey, if I get an iMac with Final Cut or Logic, would you guys use it? And they're like, eh, we have our iPads, like it's fine. (laughs) Right. And so I, I do wonder like 20 years from now, 
what the affinity will be. Although I do feel like when my kids really want to do like work work or maybe really make videos, they're going to want to get a Mac because they're going to want like real edit video editing software. But anyway, there's just this affinity for the Mac. I feel it too. You know, we, I think it was just on last week's episode. We didn't plan it, but we talked about uh, some of our first Macs and Jason actually found a picture of it, which uh, yeah. I'll have to show in a moment. But I, I enjoyed reading all about it. I was on the Mac Break Weekly podcast earlier this week and those guys like Leo Laporte, Andy Anotko, like, Jason Snell was actually on the episode. You know, they were talking about, they were there. <laughs> they got the original Mac. And and they actually had an original Mac uh, on the show of Mac Break Weekly. One of the guys had, like, the box, everything that came with it. It came with a cassette tape <laughs> that was an audio walkthrough of using the Mac. And the guy actually still had the original cassette tape on Mac Break Weekly. He had the original stickers that came with the Mac. They even talked about how all the people on the team signed the inside of the mac and so every one of these original macs actually has embossed on the inside um, of the case all the names including steve jobs uh, signature so yeah i just wildly nostalgic but tell me kind of the angle and what you were thinking in this piece well so i wrote about why i think that the mac is still apple's most beloved product and i think that it's hard to remember especially because a lot of people listening to this weren't around and i was i was around when the Mac came out, I just wasn't very old, right? The first, you know, this is, this was two years before the, the challenger, you know, uh, shuttle explosion. Like, so this is like, this happened a long time ago. And, but I think that, you know, people really love their iPhones, but I don't think the iPhone is beloved, right? They would rather use Mm. it. And I wrote in this article that if I was, we did this whole thing where if we had to pick two, two things, which would they be? And we both said some version of a Mac and our iPhone. But if I had to only pick one of those, I could get by with an Android phone if I had to. I would pick my Mac. Yeah. I would, without Absolutely. a question. There, I there, there are some very good Windows machines, but my brain just doesn't work that way. My brain works the way that the Mac works, and I would much rather have the Mac. And the and the, the real reason is, the Mac is built for you to do whatever you want. There's so many, like so many times yeah. when, and and they still sort of say this on occasion, but like the tagline was. Steve Jobs, you can just hear him say, and we can't wait to see what you do with it, right? Like that's the Mac. We want, you know, take this thing. It is the only platform Apple makes where you can put any software on it that you want. Even if it's going to hose the whole thing, go ahead, just do what you want, right? And Apple tries to sort of like put some guardrails up, but it is the truly open platform and it always has been. And there was a great photo of like what it was like to use a DOS computer at the time and what it was like to use the Mac. And there's, it's like, Oh, that's why people have such incredible feelings for it because it was just a complete revolution in the way that personal computers worked. And I think it's easy to forget, but I think that, you know, Apple sells roughly as much in Macs as they do iPads. So put in context, the Mac's pretty small. It's like what, $30 billion or so in sales last year. That's not nothing, but it's not, you know, hundred and some billion that they sell. It's it's even, it's like half of what they sell in services, which is basically app store commissions, right? And and Google search deals. So it's, it's relatively small in terms of the overall business, but I think that it is a huge part of Apple's brand. And I'm glad to see, we've been really lucky over the last couple of years. Apple has been making very good Macs, which wasn't actually the case for a while, right? There was, right. A, there was a there was a dark period of time there for for pretty much all of the Macs, really, except for the MacBook Air, which has pretty consistently been good since it came out. So I don't know. I just I think there's there's more. It's I think it's still very beloved by a lot of people, not just the people that you mentioned, 
Um, but even people who use it today, my mm-hmm. kids don't own Macs. We have an iMac that they use occasionally for things. Now, that's my uh, G4 Titanium PowerBook. It's still one of my favorite computers of all time. I, I was telling yeah. Stephen, I found a photo that I took in 2012. It was no longer my primary computer. I was 11 years old at the time. It still worked fine. I don't know what version of the OS it was working, but it's like I needed it for a, a PowerPoint presentation for something and something had happened to my laptop at the time and it ran fine. Like it was great. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the Mac's a good thing to have Here's, around. Hearing everybody talk about the Mac uh, this past week, the level of nostalgia and affinity for it, I, it does feel like you're saying unmatched by the iPhone and the iPad. I almost feel like people who really love the iPad get, a little closer to the same level of affinity as for people do for the Mac. Like I do feel like like Christopher Lawley on YouTube and Federico Vitici, although less so recently because he's kind of frustrated with the platform. <laughs> like there was a time when, you know, people who really love the iPad really had an affinity for it. And it still doesn't match the Mac by any means. And it is not as long standing. But it does feel the Mac stands unique as a platform that is both extremely powerful and extremely loved and yeah i mean all these guys and you had mentioned the uh up, the episode of upgrade and it had like yeah. everybody on it i'll just yeah, say john gruber john syracusa um stephen hackett mike hurley jason snell dan morin yes and shelly brisbane thank you it was like yep. the who's who of people who with the exception of mike hurley and stephen hackett who all remember the original mac right both right. of them stephen hackett the like has a collection he owns something. basically every mac that has ever existed he just wasn't right. there firsthand for a lot of them so yeah i think i think that well and, and you talk about the ipad you can't develop for the ipad on the ipad really right, exactly. right you need a mac right the mac is the platform so anyway it's i would i told stephen beforehand which is kind of a rough thing to say before we're about to record a podcast that this episode, I guess it's 496 40th anniversary of the Mac draft is in my mind because of the total collection of people that were there. Um, one of the best pieces of content about the Mac that I think has ever been made. I think everyone should listen to it. If you like the history of technology. So fair enough. Well, I'll put a link to this video version because you should probably watch the video because yeah. Stephen Hackett, whenever he's on screen, well, here's John Syracuse in his yeah. office, which is amazing. He's got, he's got Max behind him. And then uh, when Stephen Hackett is in there, he's got his original Mac on the bookshelf uh, behind him. Yep. And then, of course, now I can't actually get to it. But here was everybody on the podcast. Uh, I'll put the link in there. You should definitely watch it. But Jason Snell's got the original Mac behind him on the bookshelf. I, I don't. I do have a, a G3 tower at my mm-hmm. mom's house. And I don't know where it came from. Or I think someone gave it to us. And it still turns on. And it's still like you can load the OS. And that's where we had an amazing uh, recommendation from a listener that because of my affinity for making DVDs and iDVD, that I should make a DVD of this podcast. <laughs> Take the video, make a DVD, custom label and everything. Mark my words. I'm going to try my hardest to do it. I'll see I'll see if I can get that old G3 up and running. Run old school iDVD so I could design the menu, DVD menu. That's going to take so long. It's going to be so slow, Jason. Well, here's the thing. You can solve this problem a super lot easier. Just plug in any you know USB DVD burner. The problem yeah. is you want to. You don't even care about making a DVD of the show. You want to use iDVD again. That's that's I the only. Use iDVD. Yeah, I have one of those too. It's in a drawer that if I had to bend over, I'd fall out of my chair. But I do have basically <laughs> the same thing. So this is what I use to rip a uh, Ford v Ferrari. There you go. <laughs> my Blu-ray drive. So anyway, we'll put a link to that. So th- that's the show. Our personal tech. Forty years of the Mac. We're gonna go record a bonus episode talking about Google Slides, Keynote, and all of that. So again, if you want to listen to the bonus episodes or just support the show, even if you just want to support just to support you can go 
Do that directly in Apple Podcasts or at primarytech.fm. There's a link that says bonus episodes and you can sign up for a year or pay monthly. You get the ad-free versions and you get uh, all the bonus episodes as well. You can follow Jason and I on all the social media networks. All those handles are in the show notes. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also go watch over on youtube.com slash at primarytechshow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you over in the bonus episode. Bye.